2: There is little doubt that we live in a global society.
0: Because the world has in many practical ways become so much smaller, it is really important for us as human beings to have a better sense of global literacy. For me, global literacy means that people have a strong understanding of the world and how we are all interconnected. While there are lots of ways to develop global literacy, including making friends and enjoying cultural experiences right in our own backyard, to extensive travel throughout the world, it will come as no surprise that I find books and reading a fine way to build global literacy. There are many wonderful books that can extend our global viewpoint. However, it is also important to say that there are some books that are not quite so wonderful. So, when extending ourselves into global literature, it is important that we find the best books to assure that we are not inadvertently consuming incorrect information or hidden stereotypes. To help you find those great books, I'd like to recommend the International Board on Books for Young People, or IBBY. This nonprofit organization has people in it from all over the world that are committed to bringing books and children together the IBBY does amazing work advocating for books from around the world. Among its many programs, it gives out the Hans Christian Andersen Award, which is given to a living author or illustrator whose complete works have made a lasting contribution to children's literature. Among the award recipients will be familiar names like Maurice Sendak and Scott O'Dell, but there will likely be lots of unfamiliar names like Mitsumaso Ano from Japan, or Ana Maria Machado from Brazil. There are also national sections of the IBBY, and ours is the United States Board on Books for Young People, which produces each year an outstanding international book list which represents the best of children's literature from other countries that are available in the U.S., one of my favorites from a recent list was a book from the United Kingdom called I Am Henry Finch by Alexis Deacon and illustrated by Vivienne Schwartz, which was a great philosophical picture book that had a lot of contrast and texture in the illustrations. So if you are looking to add a little more global literature to your reading this year, take a tip from Rachel's World and check out the information that the International Board on Books for Young People has
2: to offer. So very often, a book from childhood becomes a friend for life, a classic we'll never forget. The Snowy Day by Ezra Jack Keats was just such a book for our first guest. In fact, this simple tale was important enough to Andrea Davis Pinckney that she found a way to produce her own tribute to the book, its author, and its impact. Rachel Wadham helps us into the story of love for a book in a conversation with Pinkney, who is the author of many books for children and young adults, including picture books, novels, and nonfiction. Her books have received multiple Coretta Scott King Book Awards, nominations for the NAACP Image Awards, and many other accolades. Here's Andrea Davis Pinkney with Rachel.
0: We're on the phone today with Andrea Davis Pinkney. Andrea, welcome to the show. Thank you,
3: Rachel. Nice to be here.
0: Oh, I am so honored and excited to talk to you today and to share your insights about your work and particularly your newest work with our audience. Your newest book is called A Poem for Peter. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about this book?
3: Yes, A, a Poem for Peter is a picture book biography about none other than Ezra Jack Keats, who is the creator of the classic children's book, The Snowy Day. And it is the story of Keats's life and times. It is the uh, uh, narrative about his being born in Brooklyn, New York, the son of struggling immigrants, and how this young boy became an artist and ultimately a children's book creator.
0: It is such a wonderful story, and I am in total agreement with you with this fact that this really is a classic work of children's literature. And I love that your book actually starts to reintroduce this classic work to a whole new generation of children. So why did you pick this story to tell, or how did this story come into your lap as something that
3: that you needed to tell? You know, it's interesting, Rachel. I, like many readers, grew up On the book The Snowy Day and you know if you ask most people have you heard of The Snowy Day have you read it so many people have read that book and have loved that book and have grown up with that book and it came to my attention that the year 2016 was the 100th anniversary of the birth of its creator Ezra Jack Keats and so I thought what an opportune time to write a book about him, but also about the creation of that book, and ultimately, with the case of a poem for Peter, the main character in that book, the young boy Peter that we have all grown to love over many generations—
0: I do think there are so many people out there that just love Peter and love this story and, and love the, the beauty and simplicity of it. Is, is that something that you thought about as you were telling this story about how to not only tell Ezra Jack Keats' story and Peter's story, but also how to honor the book in a way that brought its own uniqueness out?
3: Well, you know, it's so interesting. I I knew right away that I wanted to create a Keats biography that has, you know, real read-aloud value, a bit of musicality, and relevance for today's children, many of whom are coming to the book The Snowy Day for the very first time. So that became kind of my writer's challenge and my opportunity. Uh, How was I going to tell the story of Keats in a way that – perhaps has never been told before, and also present the snowy day uh, to readers that may not be familiar with it. So I decided that I wanted to create a love letter, uh, an ode, if you will, a spoken word lyric, a poem that pays homage to, again, Peter, the African-American boy in that red snowsuit who takes us out on this snowy adventure. And I wanted the reading experience to be one that children and adults can enjoy together, that it's filled with joy, discovery, uh, exploration, fun, and that it feels like you're going out on a day in the snow. And then, so hence, a poem for Peter really is this lyrical uh, celebration of the star of that book.
0: I couldn't agree more. It really is a beautiful celebration, and I love that sense that you say it's a love letter. Is this something that you think about when you write all of your books? Is is this the the choice that you make is something that you do want to do an ode or a love letter? I know so many of the topics of your book seem very personal, and that you have this sense that you're writing to, to people and issues that are really personal to you. So is that is that how you pick your stories and the topics you want to write about it's it's something you love and something you
3: want to share? Well, um yes, absolutely because I feel like if there's someone uh, a notable figure who I'm excited about. Hopefully, a child will be excited about that person as well. Um, examples are Duke Ellington, the jazz pianist. I thought, for years growing up, I heard the music of Duke Ellington, and how can I now bring that to children? Another biography that I've written is about Ella Fitzgerald, the singer. Again, love that music. How can I bring it to children? And part of my, again, the fun of being a children's book author, is that my job, really, I feel, is to kind of reach out a hand to a child and really say, okay, young one, we're going to go on a journey. We're going to have fun. We're going to explore this person in a way that you might not be familiar with. And if I'm doing my job as an author, you, reader, will be having so much fun that at some point you might not even realize you're reading a book because we're on this exploration and we're having fun together.
0: That is such a wonderful image, taking them on this journey. And one of the things that I love about your work is that often this journey includes poetry. So is that a conscious choice on your part as you make these works, that you you pick the form to convey what you want the biography to say? <laughs>
3: That's a great question. You know, I actually think it's the other way around. I think that the form picks me. Uh, In the case of A Poem for Peter, I was literally out on a snowy day in my neighborhood. In fact, there's a photograph of uh, me in the book, A Poem for Peter, where I'm making a snow angel and I'm wearing my red parka. And it was on that that fun afternoon when we had a snow day we, we couldn't go to work the schools were closed I thought you know I'm going to go out and make a snow angel and as I did that the lyrics started to come to me for a poem for Peter brown sugar boy in a blanket of white bright as the day you came onto the page and on from there so it shows me because I was having fun and doing what I love to do
0: I think that's a wonderful way to look at it, that it it just comes into your being. Is this something that you have found influenced you in a a broad way? You've obviously been influenced by Ezra Jack Keats and and other artists, but does their influence help you bring that sense of how you're going to tell the story?
3: Yes, absolutely. I mean, in the case of, again, like a Duke Ellington, an Ella Fitzgerald, a Sojourner Truth, the uh, abolitionist women's rights hero who I've written a biography about, Rosa Parks who sat on that bus, uh, Ezra Jack Keats, the creator of The Snowy Day. They were all individuals who pursued a dream, and that is often how I choose uh, a figure to write about. They pursued a dream, and they inspired others in turn to pursue their dreams and by writing books about these individuals i hope that will inspire young people and families to uh, do things that that make them happy and pursue their own dreams. And um, I grew up on books by Mildred Taylor, for example, the classic novel, Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry, which I just found out has celebrated 40 years since its original publication. And so those storytellers, you know, weaving what comes so personal from what comes so personally from them and their life experience, into narratives for young people. Um, I think of people like Virginia Hamilton, The People Could Fly. Again, with that book, she was breaking new ground, and it's something I try to do in my own writing and bookmaking.
0: I love that sense of breaking new ground. And particularly for children, we really need to kind of push those boundaries and and help them see the differences and the joys in the world in in a very unique way. And and I love that your work particularly does this through artistic ways. You you tend to write about artists quite a lot and musicians. As we close up our conversation today... How does that story, why do you think those stories of those artists and musicians like yourself need to be told? Why Why are the arts important
3: to you? Well, uh, I grew up in a family of artists, and I'm uh, married in, if you will, to a family of artists. Uh, my husband, Brian Pinkney, is a children's book illustrator, and many of the books that I've written, he's illustrated Uh, Brian's dad, Jerry Pinkney, uh, is a children's book illustrator who has illustrated more than 100 books for children. So we're talking about artwork all the time, creativity, and it reminds me that when I'm creating a book for young people, you know, basically I want to convey the message that you too can be an artist, a musician, a dancer, uh, anything that makes your heart sing creatively. Um, You know, in the case of a poem for Peter, one of the most relevant and resonant facts for me about young Ezra Jack Keats was that he wanted to be an artist, and his parents uh knew no artist, and they felt that it was a very impractical thing to be. And again, as I mentioned in the book, yet his dad, who was a waiter, would use his very small wages to buy young Ezra tubes of paint. So um, again, it reminds me that children can be inspired in many ways and should feel free to pursue their artistic dreams.
0: I think that is a beautiful way to look at it. I think oftentimes, particularly in our society where we're so focused on, you know, science and math, we, we sometimes forget the joy and, and beauty that art can bring. Well, thank you so much for your graciousness today. It has been a sh- wonderful honor to speak with you. Yes, thank you, Rachel.
2: Children's book author Andrea Davis Pinckney talking about her book, A Poem for Peter, which pays homage to Ezra Jack Keats and his book, The Snowy Day. Next on World's Awaiting, Rachel visits with local poet Gina Clark about where her love of poetry started. Gina also offers tips on how to help our children and family engage in poetry. Clark is a Utah native and mother of six children. She's taught as an adjunct at Brigham Young University and Utah Valley University and is currently a writing instructor with BYU's Independent Study. Gina Clark is an avid supporter of her local public library, where she has been a volunteer storyteller for over a decade. Her monthly storytime presentations might better be called Poetry Time, since she fills them with poems for readers young and old alike. Here's Gina and Rachel. We're welcoming in studio Gina today. Welcome, Gina. So glad to
0: have you. Thank you. Glad to be here. I am really excited to talk to you today about your love of poetry. You have a passion for poetry that you have utilized to be a teacher and and create your own poetry. So let's start at the beginning. Where
4: did this love of poetry come from? Well, I'd like to think that it might be a little bit genetic. Um, My maternal grandmother loved poems. She wasn't a highly educated woman, but she loved poetry and she would clip poems out of uh, ladies' magazines and newspapers and church bulletins, and she would compile them into binders. And I still remember as a young child, I don't remember the specific poems that she shared, but she would, her, her voice would be so altered when she'd pull out these binders and share the, the poems. And uh, she, she was a little bit deaf towards the end of her life and struggled with her hearing even as a, a younger person. Um, but when she read those poems aloud, there was a lilt in her voice and a just a, a feeling that, that wasn't there in a normal conversation. I remember that really well. As a young child, uh, I even inherited this book here, Silver Pennies, from my grandmother, which was originally published in 1925. And it was intent, and the foreword says, to acquaint parents and teachers with modern poetry, (laughs) which is, you know, ironic to think of that now. But, um, you know, it's a well-worn, much-loved book that my grandmother used with her own children and grandchildren. And so it's something that I, I feel, you know, I have some kind of a genetic predisposition to. But certainly, you know, that was nurtured through her and through my mother as a child, a um, great story about my grandmother. She raised a a large family on fairly limited means and there was a a gentleman who was kind of down on his luck. He would go around trying to sell night crawlers to kind of supplement what meager income he had and my grandmother would feed him, would make him a sandwich or something. And what this gentleman would do is he would pay her for that food with poems. He wrote little poems and little pieces of paper, and he would pay her with those poems. And so I like, you know, I like thinking that to my grandmother that poetry had a, a currency, that it, it, it had power to exchange for something else you know, as tangible as a sandwich. And so you know, I think that was sort of one of the origins of my love for poetry. Um, I grew up loving to read, but also loving to write. And I originally wanted to write books like uh, the things that E.L. Konigsberg wrote, and I wanted to be Harriet the Spy. And Me so, too! Oh, yeah, okay, really? that's good. wonderful. Yeah. Personal
0: connection there. you there. go, yeah, yes, Harriet yes. the Spy is one of those books that oh, I've read yes. dozens and dozens yes. of times. Yes, <laughs> I love
4: that book. I found an old edition of it and just have treasured that. But I shared it with my own children um, but I so I, I kept my own notebooks and, and would write fiction. And when I was between stories, I would write poems. But as I wrote more and more, the the those little breaks of poetry became longer and longer and the stories eventually petered out. I looking back on them now, you know, certainly that's uh, um, you know, very immature writing, but I realized that I I had no interest in plot as a fiction writer. I was much more interested in uh the 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 beautiful passages of prose descriptive language I was much more interested in in character development and those kinds of things, but didn't do much to develop a a plot of engaging interest and so I think the move to poetry for me was very very natural uh a very easy easy leap to make.
0: And I think that's a really interesting point, because one of the things I love about poetry particularly is its ability to use language in such a very unique way that makes some of these fundamental, even emotional connections to other people. So how do you see poetry as being different than prose in that way? I mean, maybe in a more emotional or language use
4: way. Is there some distinction that you see there, too? I, I think that there is, and I have to be very careful because it's too easy to be reductive when we have a discussion like this. I have a wonderful sister-in-law who writes a young adult fiction, and I just imagine her hearing me, and I don't, I don't want to sound as though I, fiction is marvelous. I love fiction getting uh, you know, swallowed up in a, a wonderful story. But there is something that poetry has to offer that's very different from works of fiction. I, I saw a TED Talk on poetry by the literary critic Stephen Burt. And he said that fiction concerns itself with what happened and who did what. He said, but the question that poetry strives to answer is what was it like? And I think that's a really important distinction. Um, a, poet, a, po- a great poem tries to answer the question, what was it like to be in that body, to be that person at that moment? What was it like to see that particular thing? And uh, because of that, I think poetry, and here's where I have to be careful because great fiction does this as well, but poetry can really build in an individual uh, emotional awareness, social awareness awareness, uh, responsiveness to other people, other situations. And because it is a short form instead of a longer form, you know, you have to distill language and ideas and images to a very limited set of words. You don't have very much to convey the idea. And so in that distillation, I think we have an intensity of feeling and experience that can also be uh, accessed pretty quickly. Um, and that 's one reason why I think poetry is different than prose, different than fiction, different than a work that uh, develops its plot and its action over many words and many pages and and it 's that intensity that I think is is its essence and what 's of such value in a poem
0: and that 's a beautiful distinction, Gina. I really love that, and I think that 's one of the things that I think is important too. sometimes I think we pit art forms against each other, right? Yes. And we say, oh, you know, fiction is better than poetry mm-hmm. or or even genre-wise, you yes. know, oh, this genre is better than this other genre. Mm-hmm. And that that is really sad to me that mm-hmm. we have to have this kind of fight because everything brings such beauty and such, such joy. And, and it's really sometimes difficult for people to see the beauty and joy in a form that they're not familiar with yes. or a form that they become uncomfortable with. Particularly poetry, I think, is one of those forms that mm-hmm. for whatever reason, whether it was beat out of us in school mm-hmm, or mm-hmm, whatever, mm-hmm. a lot of people have a really difficult time engaging with poetry. So what would you say to those people who maybe find poetry to be one of their lesser
4: <laughs> their lesser appreciated <laughs>
0: forms of literary art? <laughs> yes,
4: I think that's a great, a great question. Um, I, I heard a great quote from William Stafford. This is what he said. He'd, he'd been asked the question. When did you first become a poet? And he answered back. He said, well, I think that's the wrong question. He said, I think the real question is, when did everybody else stop being a poet? He said this, everyone is born a poet, a person discovering the way words sound and work, caring and delighting in words. I just kept on doing what everyone starts out doing. The real question is, why did other people stop? Love it, and I think that's a, a a really good summation of how children approach language. You know, caring and delighting in words, discovering the way that they they sound and work, and so uh, poetry can get us back to that childlike vision. But I think what you're asking is a very good question: Why don't we always like it? Um, I heard another. I read something. Somebody said that uh, sometimes schools, the approach they take to poetry, is uh, like. Uh, what a, a soldier's asked to do in the field to strip their machine gun, <laughs> learn how to strip it and reassemble it. I love that image. Yeah, love yeah. That image. And, and, and also the whole idea of a poetry as being some kind of a weapon, right? And unfortunately, I think sometimes in, in academia, poetry can be like that, that, you know, it's a way to distinguish, you know, the really smart people from the not so smart people. And, and if you don't understand what's happening in a poem, that perhaps uh, you're just not intelligent enough. And and, you know, there there is a place and a time and there even is a pleasure in the academic inspection of a poem, in in, in stripping it, in, in looking for the deep meanings in particular words. But my feeling about poetry is that we need to get back to its, its idea of being serious play, which is what Robert Frost called it. That we have to engage it on a level that it's fun. That if it doesn't give us pleasure, don't read it. <laughs> um, you know, if you're not a student in school, if you're not required to write a paper on T.S. Eliot, then then find something that you love. You know, I, I'm very democratic about poetry um, as a, uh, a instructor of an online poetry course i I get all kinds of poetry, and I think everyone feels on some level that they have something to say, and poetry allows us a chance to say it and you know it may not be you know pulitzer prize winning stuff, but i I think there's worth in these expressions and find something that you love there's so much out there. Find something that resonates with you, I think would be one place to start to try to find. Um, love and and play in in poetry again. You know, a great teacher of mine, Leslie Norris, he uh, was a teacher of children. And he said that for him, poetry told the story of taking the children out on a windy day and having them go up to a, a tall tree and to wrap their arms around it and press their ear against its trunk and just to listen to the way the tree was moving in the wind and how you could hear the wind in the trunk of the tree. And he said that is what poetry is about. That is about the experience of it. And, and you know, you've got to get back to that and find a poet who does that for you. You know, there's so much out there that if you don't like it, there's something else you can find that you do like. I think that's such an important point. And if our listeners
0: don't know Leslie Norris, go out and find him. He yes. he, is, he also built in me, the passion for poetry, oh, yes. you know, even though I had that from family and mm-hmm. others. Thank you Thank so much, you. Gina, for helping us to explore that wonderful world of poetry and help extend our understanding about the joys and, and beauty that poetry has to offer. Thank
2: you so much. Thank you. Poet Gina Clark talking about where her love of poetry started and sharing some tips on how to engage our children and ourselves with poetry. We finish up the show today with a high school student, Hayden Nielsen, who talked to me about some of his favorite books.
1: I have Michael Lewis' his book, The Blind Side.
2: And now a movie was made on that, right? Yes, it was. Okay, tell me a little bit about the book.
1: It's about a man who comes from a rough childhood. His mom kind of grew up in a really bad neighborhood, and he was homeless and. He was struggling to go to school at all um, and this lady was driving with her husband. Um, lady ends up taking him in. He likes basketball but the coach sees him and tells him that he's got to play football. So he does and he turns out to be really good. He's on the offensive line which he just protects the quarterback and that's kind of why it's called the blind side. This is a true story. The guy that this is about is actually playing in the NFL right now.
2: What attracted you to the book? Why did you choose to read this book?
1: Probably the football cover. <laughs> <laughs> I really like sports. Are so. you in football? Yeah, I play football.
2: What other books do you like? I know you've, you've read a variety of books.
1: I like all type of books. I like like The Hunger Games. so still one of my favorites. There's this one book that I just finished. It's called Silence. I was just looking through the ebook app on my iPhone and saw that it was free. So I was like, I'll give it a try. I downloaded it, and it, was a, it turns out it's a really good book.
2: It's great how you kind of come across different things, because I'll go to the library sometimes, and I'll just find a book, and it turns out to be really good, and then find out it's a series, and you read the whole thing. Have you read any series books?
1: Yeah, I really like the Percy Jackson books. That's definitely, I would probably put that as my all-time favorite series, just because I've read those books over and over and over.
2: I mean, you've read your whole life. Yeah. I mean, from the time you were a little kid. I mean, where did you, what did you start reading? Do you remember one of the first books you started reading that maybe was a chapter book?
1: Yeah, it was, um, it was just called the A to Z books. And an author just... This was probably the only book that I read, like the only series that I read that was really long because it had a different, like, it was a mystery series and it had a different mystery for every letter. And I remember that when I was really young, I just stayed up and read that one all night. The A to Z series was probably the first series that got me caught on books.
2: High school student Hayden Nielsen reviewing some of his book favorites. Thanks for listening to World's Awaiting. Tune in Saturdays at 1.30 p.m. and weekdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern on BYU Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 143, on the TuneIn app and at byuradio.org.